want to just again welcome everybody, one and all, and of course those that are live streaming with us. We are glad that you are here with us. Uh, before I get going, I, I just want to say just a really uh, quick word um, regarding just something last week um, that that I had uh, that I'd said in the context of my sermon. In the con- um, when reading a passage from First John last week, it was chapter two, verses eighteen to twenty-two, and and we were speaking of antichrist as as those people who deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny the Father and the Son, I I then meant to say, but that would be like any unbeliever, right? Because unbelievers, of course, deny Jesus as the Christ. They deny uh, the Father and the Son. But what I said was, but that would be like any believer. And somebody had brought this to my attention, so I went back and played the little YouTube thing, and sure enough, and I'm like, man, it's in my notes, unbeliever. You know, I'm thinking unbeliever, but some reason it comes out of my mouth. In a weird way. So I apologize for that. I hope most of you realize it was just a faux pas. If you thought anything uh, about it at all, great. Now we can move on. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Turn to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll go ahead and read this whole passage, verses 1 to 12, that we have, uh, that we have been with for now several weeks. Paul writes this to the church at Thessalonica, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, 2 Thessalonians. Now we request of you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know it restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence, so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged, who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. Father in heaven, Lord, we, we thank you for this time already spent together in, in the worship of you through, Lord, music and singing and hearing testimony of your work, Father, and, and Lord, from just even our, our fellowship and prayer and, and, and their baby being dedicated. And now, Lord, it is our desire to worship and honor and exalt your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the preaching and teaching of his word. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. Help us to receive your word with all humility, Father. And may I be able to have the ability to preach it clearly 
We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When I was about 10 years old, I think I was about 10, I, um, gosh, that would have been like 1978, I guess. I was born in 68, and um, uh, I had my own room growing up at home, and for the longest time that I can remember, my mom had done my room in red, white, and blue. So everything was red, white, and blue. And it kind of made sense when you hit 1976, right? It was a big deal to celebrate the centennial. And I had red, white, and blue wallpaper. And I had a red, white, and blue lamp. And I had a red, white, and blue, you know, thing, thing for the light switch. And, and probably other things that were red, white, and blue. And I, I, th- I thought it was pretty cool. You know, it was pretty, pretty hip at the time. And, and, but I think a, a, a couple of years after the bicentennial, my mom thought, you know, it's, it's time to change your room. You know, and she she basically offered to um, go in there with me and just kind of redecorate it, you know, and get rid of the old wallpaper and put up some new and 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 get some cool things and make it a little little newer, a little hipper, a little better. And so she drags me down to the. Uh, we didn't have like I remember Home Depot or Lowe's. We had standard brand paints, but it was kind of like a home improvement store. And uh, and she's in there and we're checking out the wallpaper. And I just got it in my mind that I didn't want to change. I, I, I didn't, I decided I didn't want new stuff. I, I just wanted to keep the old stuff. And so I was kind of resisting and, and basically pitched a fit, you know, in the store. I mean, I wasn't stamping my feet or hollering or anything like that, but, but just made it clear that I did not want to change the old to the new. And so this went on for a little bit. And finally, my mom just got, you know, done with me. And she's like, fine, let's go. And just drags me and we start exiting the store. That's kind of like in that time there that I was like, oh, well, no, well, maybe, I, maybe, you know, changing my mind, maybe it would be okay. Nope, nope, we're going home, forget it. I tried to do something nice for you and forget it, you know. And she would get in the car and now we're on our way home and now I'm really sad. <laughs> now I'm bummed. I'm like, missed opportunity. And, and I think I even, you know, when we got home one more time, tried to, okay, no, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go for it. You know, please, can we go back? No. And you know what? She didn't change my room until I moved out of the house. (laughs) Red, white, and blue wallpaper until the day I moved out. The woman held fast. I thought I had some sway with mom. You know, I was the good kid, you know. But man, I I took her past the point of no return. And she was not going to change her mind in that moment. Well, I know that's kind of a fun and humorous uh, you know, scenario. But this morning, we're, we're actually going to see something similar. Because we as, as believers, we're, we're, well, prior to becoming believers, we, we have been offered something awesome, something great, something better, something new from our old way of life, our old way of doing it, of doing things. And, and, and it behooves us in preaching to the choir, most of you have received that that awesome gift of the gospel the lord jesus christ and uh, but there will be those who will not receive it that will dig in their heels and and say no 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 and for some there's even a point where they push god to the place of 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 no return and and there will for some come a a time when god says no enough Eh, now it's 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 done 
it's, it's done. Well, these are some of the themes that we will see this morning from our text of verses 10 through 12. The whole section of chapter 2 here, verses 1 to 12 that we just read, has been, as we've said, all about end times events, specifically focusing on the day of the Lord, and then the man of lawlessness, as we have said many times, the day of the Lord is that future day of of God's judgment upon the people of the earth who have been disobedient to him, who have rejected he and his son, and it all surrounds the return of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason that Paul is returning to this, this theme, this familiar theme, is because the Thessalonians were confused. They were confused about when all of this was to occur. In fact, they thought that maybe the rapture had already happened, that they were even currently in the day of the Lord, and that was because that they were undergoing some tremendous persecution and affliction, which made them think, well, maybe we've missed stuff, and maybe this is God's wrath coming down upon us. So Paul then writes to them, and he gets more specific in this letter about timelines and how the Thessalonians can know for certain that they indeed are not in the day of the Lord, that they haven't missed anything and in so doing he presents to them uh, what we had studied in the last two messages three we called them preludes to the day of the lord three things that must happen before the day of the lord would come upon the earth that the apostasy would come first the man of lawlessness will be revealed but in order for these things to happen something called the restrainer must be removed that's what we looked at Last week, then and only then, will the day of the Lord be ushered in and Christ's return to earth. Now, in regard to this restrainer that we looked at last week, we learned that it is indeed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is currently at work in the world, restraining, restraining evil and wickedness to some degree. Right, we, we say to some degree because obviously there is much evil and wickedness in the world. And there has been ever since the fall of man going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the book of Genesis. And this has continued throughout human history as witnessed by countless things such as wars or tyrannical leaders or just even the sinfulness of individuals. And yet the Holy Spirit is still acting as a restraint, and this can be seen in the fact that there's not total anarchy. There's not total and complete anarchy throughout the world. There are still governments in place that God has ordained for the protection of his people, for the good of the people. They are uh, to act as ministers of God. Protecting the people, though, no, we don't always see governments and leaders do this the way that they should. And there is good in the world. And there is righteousness. And there are these people called Christians, believers, that have the Holy Spirit living inside them that we hope and pray are having a good and positive effect out there in the world. And especially where the gospel is concerned. And though the ruler of this world we understand from scripture is still Satan. He is still ultimately under the control of God. He can't do anything apart from God's permission, just like he couldn't do anything to Job apart from God's consent. And yet we learned last week that there will come a day when the Holy Spirit who currently restrains 
will be taken out of the way, will be removed. And that's that that first prelude again to the day of the Lord. And, And this is, you might say it's God kind of letting Satan out on that leash of his. The leash kind of lengthens, maybe gets a little longer, giving him more authority in the world and in the lives of unbelievers before God just lets loose with his judgment and wrath. And so when the Holy Spirit is removed, Satan's plan for usurping God will, will go into full swing as he empowers this man of lawlessness, a.k.a. the son of destruction, a.k.a. the beast, a.k.a. the Antichrist, to just wage a full-on war against God and against God's people. And this is when the man of lawlessness then will be revealed to the world. That's that second prelude to the day of the Lord. And the apostasy will take place. The apostasy being that act of rebellion when the man of lawlessness enters a a newly built temple, desecrates it by actually taking his seat in it and displaying himself as being God and demanding worship. From the people. Now, just before we get to these verses, 10b to 12, I'm I'm aware that we didn't spend a lot of time on the second half of verse 8 or the first half of verse 10, because earlier on we were talking about the man of lawlessness, we were kind of skipping around. And so we 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 got some other verses in, like verse 9, for instance, but we didn't spend as much time on some other verses. So just in the context of our kind of review here, let's let me just just share a couple more things about the man of lawlessness. We make sure we're we're fully up to speed here. But we find out in verse 8 that the man of lawlessness will be slayed. And he'll be slayed by the breath of Christ and brought to an end at the appearance of Christ's coming. That is to say, at at Jesus' return. Now, slay can have a A few meanings, such as to take away, to take up, to abolish, murder, or execute. And what's amazing about this is that here you have arguably the most powerful, tyrannical, despotic, satanic ruler in all of human history. This man of lawlessness. And the Lord does what? He slays him with the breath. Of his mouth. What comes out of his mouth. Slays him. And this makes sense when we read Revelation 19 and verse 15. How when the Lord Jesus returns to the earth at his second coming it says. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations. In other words, all Jesus needs to slay the man of lawlessness are the words of his mouth. That's it. That's the kind of power our great God and Savior has. Jesus will slay him with the words of his mouth. That should make sense to us too. You think he created this world. He brought it into existence by what? Speaking. 
speaking it into existence. Jesus battled against the temptations of Satan out in the desert by doing what? By by battling back with the word of God coming out of his mouth. And I love this moment. When over 600 soldiers and officers showed up in the garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, all of them fell down to the ground when Jesus said, I am he. Boom! They're laid out. What's even cooler is when you look at that I am he and you get into the actual Greek text, the word he is not there. All he said was, I am. Where have we heard that before? And boom, they are laid out on the ground with that same word. And he will remove the man of lawlessness he will slay him with the breath of his mouth, that same word. Okay, so back in, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, it says that by slaying him, the man of lawlessness will be brought to an end. Literally, to he'll be rendered inactive, idle, useless, ineffective. His dominion, his empire, his rule, his, his stronghold will be brought down in one fell swoop by Jesus' word alone. Done history over and once again when will this occur verse 8 tells us at the appearance of his coming at the visible manifestation of jesus as he bodily descends down out of heaven on his white horse eyes aflame with fire multiple diadems on his head that those are just actually silk scarves tied around one's head as a symbol of royalty Wearing his robe dipped with blood and his name being the word of God. In fact, Revelation 19 and verse 20 tells us of the man of lawlessness's final demise. When it says, and the beast, that's the man of lawlessness, the beast was seized. And with him, the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. Amen. Hallelujah. What a savior. Back in verse nine, second Thessalonians two. The man of lawlessness, we learned previously, will also come with the, the energy, the energeia of Satan. Satanic power in action. And whether this means the man of lawlessness is actually indwelt by Satan or is under such a powerful influence of Satan, whatever the case, Satan gives him the power to do signs and false wonders, even resurrecting himself from the dead. And this is why probably some believe that he would actually be indwelt by Satan himself. And, and we learn from verse 10 that he is able to do these things with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, being perish meaning fully destroyed. He will wickedly deceive people People who are already perishing so that they will not repent. They will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this makes sense too because this is one of Satan's primary characteristics. He is the father of lies. He is a, a great deceiver. Verse 10 tells us that he wants to keep unbelievers in the dark by the man of lawlessness's wicked deception. And he'll do so through 
giving him power and signs and false wonders. Think about a, you know, a period of time or think about that period of time and and these things going on. I mean, who are people going to believe? Right. When you when you see stuff like that, I mean, world leaders don't have miraculous powers or this world leader who can can do miracles and and is probably I'm anticipating the most charismatic, uh, awesome, you know, well-liked leader that will kind of take the world stage, at least at the beginning. People are going to love this guy. They're going to love him. And yet there will be dire consequences, such dire consequences for these folks who would pledge their allegiance to this man of lawlessness and in doing so will be rejecting God and his son. Okay, this brings us to our text, verses 10b to 12, and and some very clear outcomes for those who reject the truth of God, that is the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see it in, 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 in three ways. Those who reject the truth will perish. Those who reject the truth will be deluded. And those who reject the truth will be judged. And these are important truths for anyone here who has yet to receive and believe in the truth of God's gospel message. And for those of us who have believed, these are things that we need to be crystal clear on when sharing the gospel with others. I've said it many times before that people will not care about being saved if they aren't told the truth of what it is they need to be saved from. In other words, gang, if, if all they hear is, well, Jesus will give you your best life now. Jesus will change your life. Jesus will. I'm, you know who I'm imitating. OK, hopefully, you know, I'm not imitating southern people in general, but one specific southern person. OK, he lives in Texas. No name. Uh, uh, Joel Osteen, but no names. Uh, Jesus will give you the desires of your heart. You you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Jesus wants a relationship with you. Really? Why? You know, uh, you need to be right with Jesus. Even even this. Jesus will save you from your sins. That's true. But I would put to you that that's still not enough. It's true, but it's not the whole truth they need to hear because they need to know why. Why? What are sins? Why do I need to be forgiven of them? Why do I need to be saved from my sins? And, and they need to understand the consequences of rejecting Jesus. And the first consequence, again, that we see from our text this morning is those who reject the truth will perish. Those who reject the truth will perish. We see that uh, Uh, Back here in verse 10. Now remember verses 10 to 12 are in the context again of the man of lawlessness. He's on the scene sometime in the future deceiving people into thinking that he is the Christ by displaying his power and signs and false wonders. And because of this there will be many in that day who will reject the truth of God. However. 
what will be true of those who reject the gospel in the future is just as true for those who would reject the gospel today. The consequences are all the same. They're all the same. Now, that being said, just kind of in order to to pick up here in verse 10, remember again, man of lawlessness will come in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power, signs, and false wonders. That's verse 9. And with all the deception of wickedness, now in verse 10, for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. The, The Greek word there for perish is from the same word family as destruction that we saw back in verse 3 in reference to the man of lawlessness as the son of destruction as well as eternal destruction back in chapter 1 verse 9 same word family the word here for perish it's it's an intensive which means to wholly or fully perish and in the new testament is understood as into perish eternally no salvation but rather eternal destruction and let's be clear we're not talking about annihilationism we are not talking about a a soul that just ceases to exist and and in that sense it perishes no 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 Rather, it is talking about those who will be subjected to unavoidable, conscious distress and torment. Jesus used this word back in Luke 13 and verse 3 when he said, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 17 to 18 postulated, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Peter in 2 Peter 3.9 said, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And probably the most well-known verse where we see this word perish. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in all of these examples from the New Testament, it's plain and clear that those who perish are those who will undergo eternal destruction in hell and the lake of fire, as we learned and talked about back in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, when we were in verses 5 to 12, talking about God's righteous judgment. Now, what is the reason? What is the reason that these people will perish? The second half of verse 10 tells us, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And truth is, of course, the gospel truth, the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life with Christ. In Colossians 1 and verse 5, it refers to the word of truth, the gospel. Jesus declares himself to be the way and the truth and the life. John 14, 6. Paul 
Paul here adds some nuance to this gospel truth by saying that they didn't receive the love of the truth. In other words, the truth of God loves for God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. We see that in 1 John 4.16. Friends, the gospel, it is God's love letter to us. It is his love letter to us. As we just said, for God so loved the world. The gospel, friends, is not burdensome. It is not anything to fear. It is not difficult or harsh or demanding. It is not foul or distasteful. It is not there to make your life miserable. But just the opposite. Completely the opposite. Charles Spurgeon said this. His mercy is so great. That it forgives great sins to great sinners after great lengths of time. And then gives great favors and great privileges. And raises us up to great enjoyments in the great heaven of the great God. End quote. What will make your life miserable is your sin. And the consequences that, that may plague you in this life because of your sin, but will certainly be an absolute curse to you in the life to come. And, and what's, what's sadder is that our text tells us that these people only have themselves to blame. They only have themselves to blame because they did not receive the love of the truth. So as to be saved, receive, to accept and offer deliberately, readily, to take to oneself what is presented or brought by another. So imagine that I decided to buy you a round trip plane ticket to Hawaii. Man, that Pastor Jay, I just love him. <laughs> Round trip ticket to Hawaii. You're pretty excited about this, so so you start immediately preparing for the trip, and you go out and you buy a new wardrobe, and you get all kinds of new crazy wild Hawaiian shirts and shorts to match, and you get your sandals and your sunglasses, and you know the whole get up, the whole works, and and you start researching the islands and where you're going to go, and you find out about all the cool things that you can do there, and. And you're going to snorkel and you're going to beach come and go to a luau and, and visit a Kona, Kona coffee plantation. Can I get an amen to that, please? Amen. Amen. And you're going to do all these things and get ready to go. But here's the thing. Me just paying for that ticket isn't going to get you there. You have to receive that ticket. You have to receive it from me. You have to then get on the plane and you have to... Fly there. In like manner, friends, merely hearing the gospel message is not enough to save you. Sure, you can, you can hear the gospel, you know, that you're a sinner. And, and because God is holy and righteous, he cannot 
tolerate any iota of your sin in his heavenly kingdom. So he made a way for you to to be forgiven of your sins through the death of his perfect and righteous son, Jesus, on the cross, dying in your place. And, And not just that you're forgiven, but because he conquered death three days later on your behalf, you know, too, that you have that incredible gift of eternal life. But here's the thing. It doesn't just automatically happen. It doesn't. You you have to receive it. You have to receive the love of the truth in order to be saved. And and you might be thinking, okay, pastor, you know, you're kind of sounding a little bit like works righteousness here. You're talking about the thing that I have to do, right? No, friends, not at all. But it is the proper response that you must make to the gospel message. That's what it is. Go ahead and turn to, uh, keep your bookmark here and turn to John. Uh, John, Gospel of John, right at the beginning, chapter 1. Gospel of John, you know, you remember, uh, we're, we're going to actually start in verse 9, but, but right off the bat, it's that great text that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he was in the beginning with God. The word there being who? Jesus, right? Exactly. So now we get down to John chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Look at verses 9 to 13. There was the true light, capital L, right? Talking about Jesus. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. That enlightens every man is speaking about general revelation, right? The fact that God indeed exists and we all as human beings have that sense of general revelation to know that. Unfortunately, what do some do? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness, right? But we have that general revelation, God exists, but yet just that knowledge that God exists is not enough to save anyone, but it is enough to condemn you, all right? So enlightens every man, verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own. Let's just put in parentheses, presumably the Jewish nation, right? He came to his own, the Jews and those were who were his own. The Jews did not receive him. Verse 12, but as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, your family line, your nationality can't save you. Your own will or even the will of somebody else can't save you. Only God can save you through his Holy Spirit. And what are you called to do? You're called to receive it. Receive the love of the truth. That is to say, believe it. That is to say, to trust it, to have faith in it, and you will be saved. Don't receive it. Don't believe it. Don't trust it. Don't have faith in it. The consequence then is that you will perish. Second point. Second point, those who reject the truth will be deluded. Those who reject the truth will be deluded. Continuing on back in, in um, 
Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 11. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Now, deluded or delusional literally means to wander out of the right way. And is usually translated in our scriptures as error. Influence is the same word we saw in verse 9, that energeia, energy, right? As in active power. So, so we understand then that God will send to those who do not receive his truth something, some force that will keep them in error. This is nothing new in scripture. God has sent deluding influences before. You might remember Pharaoh. Here's an unbeliever who had his heart hardened by God <coughs> so that he will not let God's people leave Egypt. If you remember too, God sent not just a deluding influence, but an evil spirit upon Saul so that Saul would not believe truth about David. Turn with me to Matthew 13. Again, keep your bookmark, 2 Thessalonians, and let's back up to Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus is teaching in parables and he, and he does this, uh, this great one about the seed and, and the seed that falls in different places beside the road and the rocky places and amongst the thorns and finally the good soil. Now, first through Isaiah and then here through Jesus and the parables, God has caused people to not be able to see or hear his truth. And this is done as an indictment against them for rejecting the truth. So then he explains this parable. We get down to chapter 13. Look at verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been granted. Meaning those who have already begun rejecting him. Look down to verse 14. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing but will not perceive for the heart of this people has become dull with their ears. They scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return. And I would heal them. So in other words, though, they have not been doing this. They refuse to do this. And so he withholds information from them by speaking to them in parables. In Romans 1, for wicked people who exchange the truth of God for a lie, it says that God gave them over in their lusts of their hearts to impurity. That was verse 24. Then in verse 26, it says that God gave them over to their degrading passions and then in verse 28 he gave them over to a depraved mind he is giving them over to these things that they will not then be able to see or understand 
the truth because of their rejection of him. In Hebrews 6, we talked about that a few weeks ago. We see unbelievers in Hebrews 6, unbelievers who have probably professed to be believers, but then they fall away from the faith, which shows their true colors of not really being a Christian to the point where God says, enough, enough, over, done. It is impossible to renew these people again to repentance. They have passed that point of no return in their unbelief and rejection of the gospel. This should be a scary thing. This should be a very scary thing. You know, it's that idea, you, you, you picture, a, you know, you see it in the movies all the time, the train. The train's chugging down the track full of bore, right? Doesn't realize that up ahead the bridge is out, right? Bridge is gone, decimated. And, and that train, if it doesn't stop at a certain point, it's going to cross that point of no return, and it will not be able to stop, and it goes off over the cliff and perishes that's what we're seeing here back to our text in second thessalonians these people are those who are already on the path of perishing because they have not received the gospel so then god decides that he will send upon them a deluding influence that will keep them in error or as verse 11 says they will believe what is false literally there it's the lie they will believe the lie you say well okay i'm trying to i'm trying to process this pastor jay but it's kind of a bizarre deal right i mean god takes an unbeliever who's on the road to hell and he keeps him there yes he does but mind you and this is very important they were the ones of their own free will that chose to reject God in the first place. They have already made that decision to reject him. So yes, he does. And you think, well, I, I still, I, that just doesn't sound very fair. <laughs> Stop. Friends, you might have heard it said before, you and I, do not want what's fair. We do not want what's fair. Because what is fair is that each and every one of us would be residing in hell and the lake of fire right now. That would be fair. That would be the fair consequences of our sins against a holy, righteous, perfect God. So we don't want to talk about what's fair. We don't want what's fair. And the fact that we aren't in the lake of fire is only because of his tremendous love, his incredible grace, his unfathomable mercy, because God is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance, as he says in 2 Peter 3, 9. And he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 4. Now the truth of Scripture is that there are some cases where some have gone past the point of no return in their rejection of the gospel and God keeps them believing what is false and that's what we see here in our text. 
And again, you have to remember the context because the context is the man of lawlessness and the people of that future day, right? Who will not receive the truth and will be given this deluding influence to believe what is false. This directly pertains to the lies of the man of lawlessness that he will be just spreading. Not the least of which is that he calls himself God. But I think that we've shown clearly that this deluding influence could also happen today. Should God choose and desire. Of course, we're not going to know. We're not going to know if that's happened with somebody. And therefore, we should always preach the gospel you shouldn't stand there going, well, maybe this is somebody that's rejected the truth and they're, they're on the past the point of no return. Ah, leave them alone. No, 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 no. Now, we can't do that because we don't know. Only God knows. This brings us to our third last point. Those who reject the truth will be judged. Those who reject the truth will be judged. Look at verse 12. In order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Instead of not Receiving the truth, Paul makes a slight switch here and he says for those who did not believe the truth, whereas receiving is about that willful acceptance of the gospel. Believing is is from the Greek root word pistis, which simply means faith. It means trust. It means belief. But here, of course, in our text, it is to not have faith, not trust, not believe. Why? Because they took pleasure in, that literally means they approved wickedness. Now, if we were to stay with Romans 1, we see that those who reject the gospel are glorying in their wisdom. They're taking pleasure in their wickedness, in their their earthly wisdom. They are glorying in idols. They are worshiping and serving themselves instead of the God who created them. That is them pleasuring in their wickedness. And I mean, think about it. How often have we seen this? People who take pleasure in wickedness. People who seemingly enjoy their sin or give hearty approval to sin. Or sinful things. You know, from the, the worst of the dictatorial leaders of the world down to the average sinning citizen. And there are those, I would say, that, that who know full well that what they are doing is, is, is pleasuring in wickedness. But I think there are also others who don't understand necessarily the wickedness of their pleasures. An example would be the abortion industry. I mean, the abortion industry really thinks that they're doing something good. We are helping women to be to be equal and 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 have charge and rights over over their bodies. And 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 this is a good thing that we are doing. So in that sense, they don't see they're taking pleasure in all of that, even if they aren't consciously thinking of it as being wicked. Yet it is. The fact is, those who do not receive the love of the truth and who have this deluding influence to believe what is false and who will not believe the truth have already been pleasuring in wickedness to get them there, delighting in their sin and their lawlessness. And and this is what, of course, has kept them from the truth. But it's also true that really one feeds the other and it kind of becomes this circular you know, cycle, uh, if you will, as as they continue in their unbelief and rejection, then this will also fuel the fires of their wicked pleasures and desires. 
But what they are most blinded to is the fact that there will be an end result. An end result will come. There will be, as our text says, judgment. There will be a day of retribution and recompense. There will be a day of God's righteous judgment at the appearance of Jesus' coming. And they will be judged. They will be judged. We learn this back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. Just, just look there. It's probably, you don't even have to turn a page, I would imagine. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. Lastly, as we finish up this morning, turn to Revelation 20. Revelation in verse 20. We see this last and final act of judgment. Revelation verse uh, chapter 20, verse 11. John, the apostle, writes, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, for from whose presence earth and heaven fled, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged. Every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Jonathan Edwards, that great Puritan, has preached, the wrath of God burns against them. Their damnation doesn't slumber. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow. The glittering sword is wet and held over them, and the pit hath opened her mouth under them. End quote. That is the judgment to come for those who would reject the truth. What do we do with this today? Just... I'll very quickly give you just some simple points of application. One, friends, you must be on on your guard for unbelief. Even your own 
unbelief. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, it tells us, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Let that not be you. Be on the lookout for somebody else that maybe you think that could be the case for. Even here at church. So that you could share the gospel of Christ with them. Be on guard for each other. That's kind of the second point. Be on guard for each other. Continuing in that passage of Hebrews 3. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Help one another. Be on guard for each other. Thirdly, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Test your faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says just that. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves Or do you not recognize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? Because I think there were many in that Corinthian church that might have failed the test. That's why Paul was saying this. Test yourselves. What should you be looking for? Fruit. Right? That you're a tree that's bearing fruit. That you have the love of Christ in you. And a love for God. And a love for the church. And a love for each other. And a love for serving. And a love for ministry. And a love for giving. And a love for worshiping. See if that fruit is indeed present in your life. Share the gospel, number four. Share the gospel. In Romans 10, 13, it tells us, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And it's not just referring to me. It's referring to all of you. You're all preachers of the gospel. You need to be preachers of the gospel. This is not on me, friends. This is on all of us. How will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and good things. We love reading that to our missionaries right when they come here. They probably heard that passage, I don't know how many times. We need to be living out this passage in preaching the gospel to others. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we're even told not everybody's going to believe it. And lastly, friends, share Your testimony of hope, right? Share that gospel message. But one of the ways that you can do that is by sharing your own testimony. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. Peter says to us, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, right? That Christ would be the ruler of your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, right? You have that testimony of what it means to be a believer, how you became a believer, right? Be ready to to give that hope, that testimony, the gospel message so that they could repent and believe. How sad is an understatement to think of anyone that would reject the truth and find themselves in hell in the lake of fire. May May that not be... For anyone who's ever crossed our path, right? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for what you've taught us in your word and about those that reject. Lord, I pray that that wouldn't be anyone in here in this room. And if somebody's in here 
who has been rejected, that they, today would be that day of salvation. Today would be the day that they would right now, while we're praying, repent of their sins and put their faith, hope, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross on their behalf, that they would just pray to you a prayer of repentance, Father. And the Lord, we would be on guard for ourselves, for each other, that we would seek to love the lost by sharing um, that, that, that loving message of truth with them. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lachman Foundation.